Well, if you were with us on Good Friday, we established something that was worthy of note about the final statement Jesus made from the cross. The last thing he said of the seven statements of the cross were, it is finished. finished. And we looked at the Greek word tetelestai, and it has some interesting components. Even as John 19 recorded the fact that Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst, and a vessel of sour wine was sitting there. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop or a hyssop branch, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, to tell us die. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus was in full control even of the very minute and moment of his death. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. And Sunday's coming, and now it's here. He raised it up again, and he is alive forevermore. Now, the thing that we found, I know everybody uh, is always interested in Greek verb tense. I know you guys were thinking about that all night. And we made the point that the word tetelestai is in the perfect tense. That's a tense that is exclusive only to the Greek language. And I couldn't help but think it makes perfect sense to use the perfect tense when you're talking about a perfect Savior. Amen? Now, that means that the word is actually linear or moves forward. And what it actually means by definition is it is finished and it will continue to be finished. And the finished work of Christ on the cross still stands today. It's still impacting lives today. And that means that what Jesus did then is valid now, and people are still being saved today exclusively by the cross of Christ and the blood of the Lamb. Now, what we uh, found, rather, on Good Friday, among the things that he finished on the cross were these. One, he proved his love to all of mankind in that God demonstrated his own love for us while we were yet sinners, we found from Romans 5, 7, and 8. We also learned that he accomplished, and remember the word tetelestai there in John 19 is also translated as accomplished, not just finished. And what he did on the cross was he accomplished what was needed to reconcile man to God. We can't come on our own merit. Jesus said, you know, I kind of checked out the whole lot of humanity. There's none good, no, not one. And therefore, we all need a Savior, right? And lastly, we noted that what is still finished today is that the grip of sin is permanently broken. Sin shall not have dominion over you and I. We have a new master, and his name is Jesus. And he's nothing like the old master who is the lust of our flesh and the devil who inspires them. We serve a resurrected Lord, and we serve a good God. And he cares about us and the things that are going on in our lives. Now, we need to remember the cross was not the end of the story, nor was it the end of the list of things that were finished on this Resurrection Day weekend. Now, always I think it's common to arrive at Luke chapter 24 when we're on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, where we're told about the first day of the week. What is the first day of the week? Sunday. It is Sunday. Let me just throw this out uh, for your own viewing enjoyment. The church has always met on Sunday. The church has never met on the Sabbath. It has always met on the same day Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore, don't let anybody accuse you of not being scriptural by not meeting on Saturday. As a matter of fact, the Bible says man wasn't created for the Sabbath, the Sabbath for man. And Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So... 
we are enjoying Sabbath every day as we rest in Him. Amen? Amen. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they had found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now get this. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb so Jesus could escape. No. <laughs> Is that what it says? No. What happened next? They went in. That's why the tomb was rolled away. Jesus didn't need the stone to get out of the way. He could have simply been on the outside of it at his command and directive. He could have said, turn to pebbles. He could have said, turn to dust. He could have done whatever he wanted because Jesus is God. Amen. The stone was rolled away for you and me to have a look at the empty tomb. And these women were the first to do so. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. That behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. And then they said, Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Did that happen? Yes. And be crucified. Yes. Did that happen? And the third day, what? Rise. Rise again. Did that happen? Yes. yes, it did. And just as Jesus' death on the cross accomplished many things, so too did his resurrection. And these are going to be our focus this Easter Sunday morning. Now, our title is what it was on Good Friday. Our title is simply, to tell us in English, finished. And we're going to find three things that the resurrection finished or accomplished that are as true today as they were early in the morning on the first day of the week in 32 AD on the 17th of the month of Nisan. Three things that are finished and will continue to be finished. Things that can only be fulfilled by someone who rose from the dead according to the scriptures. Now this had to happen on the right day, which was the Feast of First Fruits. It had to happen on the, at the right time, the third day since he was executed, and for the right reasons, which will include the things we'll discuss today. Now, it's been well said that Jesus' death on the cross proved his humanity, but his resurrection proved his deity. Amen. Now, he died on Passover. He fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread while he was in the tomb because the grave had no right to him because he never sinned. He didn't know the wages of sin. He only needed the tomb for the weekend. <laughs> right? And he fulfilled the Feast of First Fruits by being the firstborn among many brethren when early in the morning on the first day of the week he rose again. Well, what else did he fulfill that will, be continue, uh, will continue to be fulfilled? And let's find out three more things this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. Pray with me, please. Lord, we are grateful for our time and your word on this wonderful day that you have made. And we do rejoice and are glad in that. And we thank you because you came up from your grave. We can come out of ours. And we thank you that the past can't hold us. The present can't control us. But the future is bright and you're in charge of all of these. And we give you honor. We give you glory as a resurrected Lord and Savior of us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now. The first thing that the resurrection finished or accomplished is this. Listen, the power of the fear of death is permanently defeated. The power of the fear of death is permanently defeated. Now, 
Listen, I was raised in a denomination that taught you could lose your salvation. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I can't find the doctrine of unregeneration anywhere in Scripture. And I don't believe God gives his Holy Spirit to people who are going to become unsaved later. He knows what's up. Right? right? So he gives his spirit to those who are going to continue in the faith, I believe, is what the Bible teaches. But I was taught that you could lose your salvation and once you lost it, you couldn't get it back. So how did I live? I lived in fear of death all the time. I was always worried about dying. I was always worried about getting killed, driving somewhere, or some accident happening uh, as I worked in a lumber mill and all these other things. I lived in fear of death all the time. I don't live that way anymore. I'm still not a fan. Because <laughs> death is ugly. Death is horrid. Death is violent and evil. It interrupts life. But the fact is, death has been conquered. And it's been conquered by Jesus, proven by his resurrection, ascension, and current seating at the right hand of majesty on high. And Hebrews says in 2:14 to 15, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same. Remember, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That through death he might, what's the next word? Destroy, Destroy him who had the power of death. In case you're wondering who that is, that's the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime Subject to bondage. Now listen, this is why we had to package our first point the way that we did. The power of death and the bondage of the power of the fear of death were both defeated when the stone was rolled away and Jesus was found among the living and not the dead. Amen. And knowing the power of the fear of death is permanently defeated doesn't make us fools in some kind of daredevil kind of way, but it does remind us that after we die, or should the Lord choose to rapture us? Yeah. I vote for that, don't you? Yeah. But either way, things are going to get better after death, and they're going to get better forever after death yeah. for anyone who is a new creation in Christ. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 58, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Please note that says trumpet, not trump. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I got that verse sent to me and said it was prophecy. Well, not about trump, but it is about a trumpet. <laughs> For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, how? Incorruptible, Incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. In other words, you're not built currently for eternal living. This mortal must put on immortality, your flesh and body, that is. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in what? Victory. Victory. And then these questions are posed, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Our Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now listen, I am thankful that there is an entire generation that is going to bypass the whole death thing. 
And I'm also thankful that it is likely, dare I say, probable that we are that generation. All the signs point to the fact that the group plan is about to happen. We're going to be snatched away in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And yet we need to remember, apart from that hope and expectation of the rapture, we are not in bondage to the power of the fear of death. Because we know that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, death has lost its sting. And that means, listen, the second death is absolutely no threat to you or I. Because should we happen to die, we're going to be with the Lord forever. And death is a transition into an eternal age of immortal incorruptibility. And listen this morning, still the loss of someone you love is painful and it's grievous. We are mourning the loss of our dear friend, Dr. Mark Mettler, every single day. We cry every day over the loss of our dear friend. But I say this this morning, I know with full assurance, I'm going to see him again. I'm going to see him in heaven again. And I was telling first service, I'm going to run into him after a couple of million years of staring at Jesus with my mouth hanging open. <laughs> but I know where he is, and I know we'll see him once again. And death is still painful. It's still evil. It is still the byproduct of sin. And yet Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, that I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now listen, they're talking about the human body. And they realized that there was going to be a bodily resurrection of all Christians, all who believed in Christ as their Lord and Savior, as well as Old Testament saints who believed in the Mashiach and David who was to come. So they looked at the death of the body as sleep, meaning someday that body is going to wake up and then do what happens here in our text. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have what? No. no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, again, there's the power of the resurrection, even so God will bring with him those who died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, Amen. <laughs> Hoping that's us. Will by no means precede those who are asleep or have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Just want to make sure you got the emphasis on the right syllable there. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be what? Harpazo caught up snatched away by force with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the, in the air. This can't be the second coming. At the second coming, he comes to the earth. His feet stand on the Mount of Olives. A 35-mile-wide valley opens up. The earth returns to an Eden-like condition. When we meet the Lord in the air, the earth is going to be anything but the Garden of Eden. It's going to be a hellacious place with catastrophe and cataclysmic events spanning the seven years. But we're going to be caught up together with the dead in Christ to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, do what? Comfort one another with these words. Now, how can we know these things are true or even possible? The things that Paul said. Well, the answer is this. Early in the morning on the first day of the week on the 17th of Nisan at 32 A.D., a stone was rolled away, 
and the tomb was empty and Jesus was among the living. And the tomb that once held the body of Jesus was empty and someday, listen, the tombs, grave, ground, urns, and any other place that held the body of believers in Jesus someday are going to be emptied and the former occupants of these places will have glorified bodies that have been reunited with their spirit that went to heaven in the moment of their death. And all they are waiting for is the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God that raises the dead in Christ and we who are alive and remain are going to join them, meet Jesus in the air, and then we're never going to be separated from him again. Amen. We will be with him forever. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, then by the 12, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord at the same time, of whom the greater part remained of the presence, but some have died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and Paul says, and oh, by the way, I saw him too, as one born out of due time. And listen, Jesus was crucified, and through the death of his physical body, we were reconciled to God. And what was finished and will continue to be finished is that our sin debt was paid in full by his own blood in accordance with the scriptures. But listen, Jesus didn't just hang on a cross to cover our sins. He hung on the cross to conquer death and therefore the power of its threat. And this is proven by the fact that he was seen alive three days after he was sealed in a tomb. What is finished and will continue to be finished is the power of the fear of death is permanently defeated. But there's more. <laughs> Listen, because he is risen, here's our second consideration this morning. Because he is risen, the hope of eternity in heaven is firmly established. Because he is risen, the hope of, the etern of eternity in heaven is firmly established. Now, if you think about it, there are certain questions that are dubbed the big questions of life. Where did we come from? What's the meaning of life? And the granddaddy of all questions is, what happens after we die? Everybody wants to know the answer to that. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have died in Christ have perished. And listen to what he says here. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You know what Paul meant there? He's saying, listen, if with all of the persecution and abuse that we are enduring as Christians is just simply our existence here and nothing after this life, no heaven, no rewards, what a pitiful existence it is to be a Christian. But... He is risen. 
And Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then his death was equal to that of any other man. And we're still in our sins. As a matter of fact, if Christ is not risen, then being a Christian is a pretty pitiful existence. But Christ is risen. His sins or our sins have been washed in his blood. And the answer to the granddaddy of all life's questions, listen, it's not just proposed, it's proven. The tomb was empty. And thus the hope of eternity in heaven was firmly established by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now it's also important for us to note and acknowledge other people were raised from the dead. Think about what we looked at on Palm Sunday. There was a guy named Lazarus who'd been dead for four days who was raised from the dead. Jesus said to him specifically and to him exclusively, Lazarus, come forth. We made the point on Palm Sunday. If Jesus would have just said, come forth, all the graves would have been emptied. He has that kind of authority, right? But he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He said to a little girl, Talitha Kumai, little girl, arise. These two later died. Jesus, after he resurrected, never died. He is alive forevermore. Now, in Acts 1, 9 through 11, we're told when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, when Jesus was asked by uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John about the signs of his coming, the first thing he said is there will be false Christ who come in his name. And we have people who occasionally pop up and some gather a rather large following who say that they are the second coming of Jesus. Well, the problem with that is they didn't come and every eye saw them. They didn't uh, descend and land on the Mount of Olives. And one of the most curious ones is the recent one. There was a Filipino guy that said, I am Jesus. Last time I checked, Jesus was a Jew and <laughs> still is. And, and the angel said, this same Jesus is going to come back in the same manner. Not a different Jesus, not a guy who claims to be Jesus, but the same Jesus is going to come back. The Jewish Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Holy One of Israel, the Mashiach bin David, the Root of David, the Offspring, the Branch, all the other titles for the Messiah of Israel. And this tells us when they mention that he will return in the same manner that there is a heaven. And it tells us that Jesus is in heaven. And it tells us that when we meet him, and ascend with them, we're going to heaven. And should we happen to die before the rapture of the church, we have this assurance. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, listen, just a little housekeeping because we have to understand that there is a physical bodily resurrection where the body and the spirit that went to heaven at the moment of death are reunited. And that's what Paul is talking about to the church at Thessaloniki. Someday, Philippians chapter 3 says, these lowly bodies are going to put on their predestined form, which is a glorious body like that of Jesus Christ. And this will require the unification of the body with the spirit. Now, what state are they in in heaven when they're present with the Lord? Uh, I can tell you with full assurance, I don't know. 
and neither does anybody else. They call it the intermediate state. There's some type of physicality to it, it seems. But I don't think we're going to care once we get our new bodies and are forever with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, whether it's the rapture or whether it's death, the end result is the same. We end up in heaven, even though our own preferred method of transport is to be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. But Jesus would say to his disciples at the Last Supper, the night before he was, uh, or the day before he was executed, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Has anybody else noticed that seems like the church can fight about just about anything. I mean, they can just debate over anything, right? And I don't know how many times I've read, you know, we need to understand that the word mansions is actually dwelling places. That's exactly what it means. And for some reason, people put a lot of effort into trying to minimize what we're going to have in heaven. But I don't know. I'm thinking that a city with foundations of 12 precious stones where each gate on either side of the city is a, a single pearl and the streets are made of gold, I don't think we're going to be living in the projects. <laughs> and I don't think the streets of gold are lined with shacks. I, I think we're going to have some casas when we get home. <laughs> After all, we're living in the Father's house, right? Yes. But listen, Jesus' claim and his instruction to stop letting their hearts be troubled would be empty if he was still in the tomb. And we need to realize that Buddhists believe that a state of nirvana can be reached after death, but the fact is nobody's ever come back from the dead to prove it. And they, like the Hindus, believe in a cycle of reincarnation. I've always found it interesting. You know, I've never heard of anyone you know, say that they were a lesser being in the previous life. They're always, everybody likes to say, well, actually, I was a king or I was the princess, or I was this. And I always think, well, you must have been a lousy one because you came back as you. <laughs> but Hindus believe that the cycle of reincarnation can be broken, moksha can be achieved, causing all to become Brahman, the highest caste of the Hindu caste system. But here's the problem. No one, say no one. No, no one has ever come back from the dead to prove it. Muslims believe that all Muslims are going to end up in Jannah, or paradise, even though some may spend time in the fire. Muhammad said that Allah will bring out the people from the fire and admit them into paradise. In other words, some people are going to be refined in hell for a while, and all the dross will be burned away from them, or whatever their thinking is, and then they're going to be admitted into paradise. That's from the book of Second Opinions, obviously. Now... But here's the problem. No one, say no one, no. has ever come back from the dead to prove it. However, Jesus is alive. Amen. And he is living proof of what the Bible says about the afterlife. The resurrection finished and it will continue to be finished. That there is a hope of eternity in heaven exclusively through the person of Jesus Christ. How do we know for sure? Early in the morning. First day of the week. 17th of Nisan, 32 AD, Feast of First Fruits, stone rolled away, tomb empty, Jesus alive. Amen. Now, 
But it's more than simply a cognitive awareness or even a proof of life that was finished and will continue to be finished because Jesus is risen. And our last Easter Sunday reminder of what was accomplished by his resurrection is simply this. Remember that linear thing? What he achieved then is going to be present, moving forward in time, even to the end of the age. And it's simply this. Here's the last of our three. Listen, here's what we have because Jesus is alive. Living with divine power has become a reality. Living with divine power has become a reality. And we have to remember that Jesus told his disciples all things beforehand, including what was going to happen to them after his ascension into heaven. And he said in John 14, 15 to 18, if you love me, keep all the commandments that you like and agree with. <laughs> no, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, meaning another of the same kind, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot, what? Cannot receive the exclusivity for the Christian, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be where? In you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Acts 1.8. He said this to his disciples. But you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Or what's in our time called the West Bank. And to the end of the earth. I believe that's both a time and a place. Listen. Jesus predicted the cross and it happened. Yeah. Jesus predicted his resurrection and it happened. Jesus promised divine power and on Pentecost it happened, fulfilling the fourth of the spring feast of the Jews. Now that means we're not only waiting for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and sitting around twiddling our thumbs or going and meditating on a mountain. We're waiting and we're working. We're occupying till he comes. But we're not doing it in our own strength and power. We are working according to his power, which he has given us. We're not trying to earn or achieve what was promised after death. We're not striving to come, become worthy of paradise. We're not headed for limbo. And there's no, listen, are you listening? Yes. There's no such thing as purgatory. There is no after death opportunity for salvation. The Bible says and teaches clearly. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. There is no temporary time in hell. You know why that's important? Because if there's a temporary time of refining in hell, that means Jesus' blood wasn't sufficient to cover all your sin. And there was suffering you needed to pay in order to arrive in heaven. But what needed to be done in order to get us to heaven is finished and will continue to be finished. And Jesus did that work. And in Acts 4.33, we're told with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. That sounds kind of appealing, doesn't it? Great grace being upon you. I want that, don't you? First Peter, 2 Peter 1.2-4 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us, another wonderful phrase here, exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Remember, lust means to long for forbidden things, and we have escaped that. I'm sorry, that was better than that. 
We have escaped that. Amen. Amen. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, the Christian life is not a pitiful existence. The Christian life is a powerful existence. So the question becomes, since the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is our helper and dwells in us, are we walking in resurrection power? Are we walking in what the ascension or the resurrection and ascension has afforded us? If Jesus died according to the scriptures, resurrected according to the scriptures, and the same scriptures say that power is promised to all who believe, then living in divine power is just as true as the cross and the resurrection. Now listen close and we'll wrap things up or we'll at least say we are. <laughs> Mark 16, 1 to 7, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him very early in the morning on the first day of the week, same or similar record as that of Luke. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Amen. See the place where they laid him? Now get this. Here's why we read all that. But, what's the next word? Go. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. What did the angel tell the women to do after they saw the empty tomb? Go. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. What should we do in light of the fact that the tomb is still empty and the work is still finished? We should go and tell people of our resurrected Lord. Now listen, life is hard. Yep. Times are difficult to be sure. But Jesus is alive. Amen. And someday we're forever going to be with him. And listen, I was thinking this past week, our country has changed so dramatically and rapidly, it's almost hard to believe. It's almost like all of a sudden we live in a different country and things are completely different. But listen, here's the point. We cannot allow that to, to cause us to act like the two dejected disciples on the Emmaus Road who were forlorn because something happened they didn't expect. Amen. Because Jesus is alive. And we need to be telling people about our resurrected Lord. Now listen, not everybody's going to believe it. Some are going to reject it. Listen, you ready for this one? Some are going to think you're stupid for believing it. Hello? Yeah. You're going to think, what a fool you are to believe in an invisible God. Me, personally, I believe that first there was nothing, then it blew up. <laughs> and all the rocks created from when nothing blew up began to stick together. You know how rocks stick together. And then these rocks became organic. They became 
actual living tissue and animal. I mean, I believe that, but come on. You've got to be stupid to believe in the beginning God created the heaven. I'm going with that over sticky rocks. <laughs> Amen? As a matter of fact, the psalmist would say in 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, listen close. It says there is no God, but that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says the fool has said in his heart, no, God, no. Not doing what you're saying. And we see this in Romans chapter 1 because they knew that God was there. They knew he existed, but they did not glorify him as creator because since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen. But they say, no. No, God, I'm going with my own opinion. But in contrast, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Now listen, there are a myriad of foolish things that are treated as fact today, and there are facts that are treated as foolishness today. But, people are still getting saved. God is still saving souls. He's still rescuing from death. And listen, some would say, and they do today, what gives you the right to say Christianity's right, other religions are wrong, Jesus is the only way to heaven? My answer? Early in the morning, <laughs> on the first day of the week, on the 17th of Nisan, 32 AD, stone rolled away, tomb empty, Jesus alive. Amen. That's what gives us the right. Amen? Now, I like what the angel said to uh, Peter and company when Jesus ascended. What are you doing standing here gazing up into heaven? <laughs> He's coming back. And we don't want to be standing around gazing up into heaven. Right? right. I mean, we don't want to have our eyes lifted, looking for our redemption to draw an eye, but we need to be about the Father's business as we await our rescue, which could happen today which could happen today. <laughs> now, they said the same Jesus is coming back in the same way he departed, and we know he's coming with clouds. And we know Hebrews tells us that those in chapter 11 in the Great Hall of Faith are described as a cloud of witnesses. Revelation 19 says that we're coming back with Jesus. So in order to come back with Jesus, you have to be taken to where he is. Amen. So the rapture has to precede the second coming. Amen? Amen? Now, I hope we're all in that number. And if you're not, you can be today. And one of my favorite things, I think, in all of Scripture, I think we can all identify with Peter. You know, Peter had foot and mouth syndrome. <laughs> you know, he was always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always saying something. You know, uh, Peter, you know, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? So, oh, some say you're one of the prophets, some say Elijah, some say this, some say that. And they said, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you know, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. The father told you that. You know what the next thing we hear Jesus saying to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so Peter's life was a roller coaster. And, you know, it's the same Peter that, when Jesus was arrested and the mock trial was going on, 
And he was warming, warming himself in the courtyard of the high priest's home by the fire. And three times he was asked about being with the crowd. And one even said, listen, man, you have the Galilean accent. I mean, you were one of them and you know it. So Peter upped the, ga the game and said, you know, with an oath, I don't even know the man. Don't even know him. And this is right after Peter said to Jesus, you know what, these other clowns, loose paraphrase, <laughs> they may abandon you, not me. They may run and hide, not me. And Jesus said, no, all of you. You too, Peter, you're all going to scatter tonight. But you know what the great thing is? Is that Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And he said to Peter, upon this rock, upon you, I'm going to build my church. Now, there's a lot of debate over this, and there shouldn't be, because the proof of that text and what the intention and context was is the fact that Peter preached the first gospel sermon under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 souls were added to God's kingdom, and the church went from 125 to 3,125 in a single sermon, and the church was off and running. Amen. And it began to be built, but it was still the work of the Lord. And so God chose the thrice denier to be the first preacher. And here a man who had a servant girl come up to him and question his identity, and he couldn't even admit that he was with Jesus. But after Pentecost, you know what he said to the Jews? This Jesus whom you crucified, he has been made both Lord and Christ. He didn't mince any words. What was the difference? He had the power to be a witness. Yes. He had the Holy Spirit in him. And listen, this only comes exclusively through being born again. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says, man, are, are you the teacher of Israel? You don't even get this? You don't even know this? This is, this is Bible 101. You don't know that you have to be born again? And Nicodemus says, well, how can some guy go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? He said, Nick, 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 Nick. <laughs> Talking about being born of the Spirit, not born just of the water or of a woman, but being born of the Spirit. And listen, that's how we can say there's an exclusivity to the Christian experience that's distinct from everybody else's life. Because we have power that is available to us. It gives us discernment. That 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the rest of the world doesn't have. I mean, Terry and I were talking yesterday. Can you believe the stupid stuff going on? Hey, can you believe how stupid some of this stuff is? I mean, it's, just, it's ridiculous. You know, all of a sudden, after, after millennia, after 7,000 years of recorded human history, all of a sudden, something a five-year-old could tell. You know, a five-year-old uh, would, would walk up to a, a woman who is obviously pregnant and say, is your baby a boy or a girl? A child knows that there's a baby, a human child growing inside of a mother's womb. But all of a sudden, in this age of enlightenment, it's just fetal tissue. And it has no validity until it's outside of the womb. Is that stupid or what? Yes. Oh, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I thought maybe you guys would get on the bus, but I, whatever. I'll ride by myself. I don't know. It's just insane. And you know what the difference is? Jesus. Yes. That's right. Amen. Having Jesus 
changes everything. Changes, you know, I, I just think about so many things and so many times my mind revisits things from my past and things that I'm glad to be, to be free from. And I can remember going to bed at night calculating what time I could start drinking again the next day. I just consumed me. It was all that I ever thought about. Now, when I went to bed and when I rose up, and I, I would think sometimes I'd have beer with my breakfast, and I'd drink whiskey all day, and well into the evening, and, and that's what I lived for. It owned me. But now I can walk down the booze aisle at the store and laugh. <laughs> You're not my master. You don't own me. You can't have a second of my time or an, even a millisecond of my thought life because I am free. <clears throat> I came out of that grave. Listen, some people talk about getting stuck in a rut. I heard somebody say that a rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. You're just there. There's no escape. Well, Jesus is the escape. Listen, in the midst of this pandemic, if you don't have hope, the hope is Jesus Christ. Amen. Him crucified, resurrected, and ascended, seated at the right hand of majesty on high. He's alive forevermore, and he is still saving all who call upon his name. Pray with me, please. Father, again, we are so grateful for our time together in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the things that we have seen and heard. And while we were not privy to what Paul wrote of, we haven't seen you in resurrected form. We do know that John the Beloved said, someday we'll see you face to face. And Lord, you yourself had said to your own disciples, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. So there's a blessing associated with the time and age in which we now live. We thank you that you have given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We thank you that we have the hope of heaven. We thank you that we have a sin debt paid in full. We thank you that death has lost its sting and no longer claims victory over us. We thank you for all these things, and Lord, we acknowledge that they all begin by being born again. And Lord, I pray, should there be any in the room or any online who are not born again or any prodigals who need to come home, that today would be the last day of wandering, today would be the last day of wondering, but today would be the day of salvation. So we say to you, Hosanna, save now all who are seeking after you. You said, he who comes to you, you will in no wise cast them out. And we thank you, you turn none away, who come in sincerity of heart and mind and ask you to save their perishing souls. We thank you for this today. We honor you as the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. We praise you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.